That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show is All About You. I am your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. Yes, of lots of other things, including this week, a big fan of giant Thanksgiving meals. I am one of those this week. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving week to all of you out there listening here in the United States. And if you're abroad, I'm thankful for you as well. Um, And uh, I hope you're able to celebrate thankfulness in your own life in some way, shape or form this week and every week. If any of you would like to know more about me, you can check me out at my website, which is wordsbyjdk.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just by looking up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you should find me rather easily. And you can find this episode or any of the other episodes of this show is all about you wherever you find and listen to your favorite podcasts. And so if you're doing that, thank you so much for subscribing, leaving me a review. I appreciate it. Thank you right here at the beginning, as always, to our generous sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, which is a nonprofit based down in Portland, Oregon, that provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through an exploration of aerospace careers, of which there are hundreds. And they do it in an amazing fashion, in a way that helps students start from even a young age all the way up into adulthood, but also takes a look at the larger person Uh, behind the career push. And if you want to know more about how they do that, check out their website at airsci.org, A-I-R-S-C-I.org. And you'll hear more about them during the breaks coming up here over the next hour. So over this next hour, uh, when when Thanksgiving has come before, I've uh, always done an episode on the historical roots of Thanksgiving. While that's very interesting, I am not going to do that today, but because it's my show And uh, because I just kind of do things this way, I will try and tie in uh, today's topic, which we'll talk about in a minute, into Thanksgiving, uh, because I think that there is a a larger umbrella for this week we can put over all of this. But in order to do that, first, we must start where we always start, and that is by taking a look at the last week in the news in a segment that I call, What in the World (laughs) is Going On? Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, this past week said he had no doubt that his country was not to blame for a missile strike on Tuesday that hit a Polish village, killing two people. That's despite NATO's initial assessment that the blast took place as Ukraine was trying to defend itself against Russia. All parties are urging restraint for now, but for a moment, the incident highlighted just how little it would take to widen the scope of the war. Meantime, the first snow fell in Kyiv, while Russia continues to target civilian infrastructure and the electrical grid. This is, that moment, a missile landing on NATO territory is probably the worst fear that NATO countries have had since this war began back in February. Besides the idea of Russia overrunning Ukraine, an expansion of the war through something accidental uh, is a lot of people's fears. And certainly big wars have started that way. Larger wars that have that have grown from regional wars oftentimes uh, have happened that way, where somebody 
in a neighboring country is hit by this, sides overreact, and suddenly you have something much bigger than anybody planned. Now, obviously, nobody is wanting that. Ukraine's not wanting that. NATO countries aren't wanting that. And despite Russia, despite Russia's bluster to the contrary, they really don't want it either. So in some ways, does it matter whose missile it was? Uh, I, yes, you want to get to the bottom of that, if at all possible. At the same time, this is one of those cases where I think the cooler response is a lot more important, at least in the short term, than nailing down the long-term cause of whatever happened here. So it's these types of incidences that everybody's worried about. And of course, with the winter setting in, as you heard there, snow is starting to settle in on the country. Right now, an estimated half of Ukrainians are living without power as winter shows up. And this isn't, this isn't a mild winter in Ukraine. Ukraine historically has some of the most brutal winters anywhere on the Eurasian continent because of its location, because of its altitude, because of its terrain. And so Russia knows that the way to make the Ukrainian people suffer over this winter is to cut off their access to the things that will keep them warm and will keep the electricity flowing. As I've said before, I don't think it's going to work. These types of things never really do work. However, uh, Ukraine is going to be looking at quite a winter of suffering. And so as you are thinking about your giving for the holiday season, keep in mind that in a month or two, people in Ukraine are really going to need a lot of help. So maybe in your planning for all of that, maybe plan in uh, some way, shape, or form that you can send aid to help Ukrainians make it through what's going to be a very bleak winter. Meanwhile, situation in Iran continues to deteriorate. Something significant happened recently that I want to talk about. The ongoing mass protests against Iran's government and religious establishment are now said to have torched the home of the Islamic Republic's founding father. That's according to activists. Videos like this one, widely shared on social media Thursday, show fire outside the home of the late Ayatollah Khomeini who swept to power as the country's first supreme leader after the 1979 revolution. The protests were sparked by the death of a woman in police custody in September after she allegedly flouted its dress code. This situation just continues to spread and worsen uh, for the regime, certainly in Iran, and then, of course, for all the uh, individual protesters who are suffering in the middle of this. The police forces in the Islamic Republic are continuing to crack down with increasing ferocity against their own people, which I've talked about at length on this show, is just simply counterproductive. Uh, it's just making things worse. In this case, though, this is kind of a big benchmark. Uh, the, the, the childhood home of Ayatollah Khomeini is a uh, museum now in the western province of Markazi in Iran, and it is considered practically a cultural holy place. Now, certainly not a religious one, but culturally among fundamentalists. Look at it this way. If you're an Islamic fundamentalist in Iran, this is like someone going to Mount Vernon in Virginia and burning George Washington's home to the ground. How, what would the reaction be here <laughs> for something like that? Now, you have to be Islamic fundamentalist okay, to really care about that. But nevertheless, that, that is a big symbol. And something that is really powerful when revolutions happen is what happens with symbols. That type of thing can be a deliberate target. And no doubt that this was something that protesters understood would get a lot of attention. And hey, protesters, mission accomplished. They're talking about this all over the world as a very clear sign that this is no longer just about protesting against the morality police. This is a full-throated 
protests by more and more people in Iran against the very fundamental precepts of the Islamic regime and the Islamic regime itself. When you are torching those cultural relics, if you will, those icons, uh, things have reached a certain point. Now, where that is going to go is anybody's guess, but this is going to continue. Things are just too hot, too widespread for it not to continue to burn. All right, and then something a little more cheerful and something that's going to be the root of today's uh, show. Something really amazing happened last week, and frankly, not enough of us are talking about it. And here we go. Hydrogen burnoff igniters initiated. Seven, six, five, four-stage engine start. Three, two, one. Boosters in ignition. And liftoff of Artemis One. We rise together back to the moon and beyond. I love that dramatic sound of the Artemis rocket burning as it launches off of its pad in Cape Canaveral, the the biggest and strongest rocket that has ever been launched by NASA, uh, is the the first launch in the new Artemis program, which is going to be America's return to the moon. Artemis One, that rocket which launched on last Tuesday, uh, has now sent the Orion capsule that's at the top, which is unmanned for this mission. It's got three kind of crash test dummies, if in, in, if you will. That uh, that capsule has is now um, orbiting the moon as of this morning, and it took a photo coming around from the dark side of the moon as it entered <clears throat> lunar orbit, excuse me, of the Earth, and it's just this small little dot in the distance. It is, is and was an amazing return and the beginning of a process that my hope is will, will capture the imagination more of the United States as well as the rest of the world because if this mission goes well, this is a practice mission, if you will. The Orion capsule is going to go around the moon for a handful of days, return, and on December 11th is going to splash down, if all goes well, off the coast of San Diego. Artemis II is going to take humans back to the moon where they're going to orbit the moon and kind of do another test of this. And then Artemis III, which is likely going to be in late 2024, early 2025, will take humans back to land on the surface of the moon, and it is already established that will include the first woman to land on the moon and the first person of color to land on the moon as well. And it is a huge deal. When you consider that the first moon landing, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, household names, happened back in July of 1969, which was only 66 years after the Wright brothers flew the first uh, airplane at Kitty Hawk, considering it's been <laughs> almost as long since then that America has finally been able, or anybody's been able to return to the moon to send human beings there. It's a big moment. Uh, and honestly, I was kind of surprised that more people uh, aren't talking about it. And I want to use that as a, forgive the pun, launching pad for today's show um, which is going to be, yes, it's going to be about this as Thanksgiving week, but really kind of taking this whole thing at perspective, possibility and potential. And how do we tap into that? And how in light of all these things that we're talking about, these difficult things that are literally happening closer to home than the moon, war in Ukraine, protests in Iran, all the political upheaval in the United States. Sadly, over the weekend, another mass shooting, this time at a club in Colorado, and all the questions about the World Cup that just started in Qatar. It's, it makes sense that we all really end up focusing on the things that we sense more directly affect us right now. And in a lot of ways, I, 
I agree with that. We should be focused and should be keeping our feet, keep our attention where our feet are. However, there is something about these big monumental things like going back to the moon that I think we can tie in with those things really effectively. There's been a lot of discussion lately, really since uh, the commercial space enterprise really began to pick up uh, in the last 20 years or so of why are billionaires like Elon Musk, uh, Jeff Bezos, and Richard Branson spending millions upon millions of dollars to take people into space when all those millions or billions of dollars could be used uh, more effectively to meet individual immediate needs here on planet Earth. <laughs> Literally, shouldn't we be focused on making Earth a better place than exploring outer space? Uh, I get all of that, and those are big questions to ask those people with a lot of money. Uh, at the same time, I've said before on this show, I do think we have the capacities to do both and that we should do both. It's a matter of finding the balance there. I recognize that. But there is something I think fundamentally important and fundamentally human that we can connect to about this type of exploration. And exploration of space, of course, is just the most robust and the one that gets the most attention and is, frankly, the biggest deal. Right? There's a lot of space out there that we don't know about. And the idea of exploring it is a massive undertaking and what we might find and what that might mean for all of us. You know, I, I've sometimes compared uh, it, you know, if we ever discovered there was life uh, either existing now or had existed before on other planets, it would be one of the most altering experiences in the history of humanity. Much in the same way that I think back in the 15th century and 16th century, as all the areas of the world's map became shaded in by exploration and, sadly, conquest, more and more people began to, to encounter beings, cultures, ideas, visuals that they had never even considered before. And that was a fundamental challenge for everyone involved in that of what it mean, meant to be them in that moment. What did it mean to be a European? What did it mean to be an Aztec? What did it mean to um, be a villager in the Philippines. You know, what was the connection human-wise with all these things together? And it was, if you know anything about that historical period, it was a time of intense turmoil more than anything else. And it led to a whole lot of terrible things and a lot of long-lasting consequences, uh, certainly negatively, uh, but it changed, the, it changed the world's diet, for example, with the introduction of uh, new foods into all the uh, into the so-called old world, all those types of things. Exploration of space may not do the same type of thing, but it could have a similar impact uh, depending on what we were to find somewhere. That said, it's not just about discovery. The process of exploration sometimes itself, whether we are talking about in outer space or we are talking about in inner space, Sometimes the exploration itself can be the purpose, the point, and perhaps the result. Just the willingness to explore something, the willingness to consider something. And that's really what I want to talk about today. Uh, we'll start certainly talking about what's happening with Artemis and where it's going to go and, and, and all of that. But really what I want to talk about today is as we consider, as we go into a... a a holiday week, a really important holiday week, one full of tradition here in the United States, the roots of that gratitude that we feel or, or whatever feelings come up, we can really bring back to this sense of explore, exploration that exists within each of us. 
I truly believe that's something that we all have. Whether each of us taps into it or not is another question. And usually, um, well, in all cases, it's really a choice <laughs> of what to do, how to do it, when to do it, what should it look like, what are the goals involved, if anything. But that spirit, I think, is in all of us. Back when the Apollo missions first started, it garnered the attention of the entire world, and not just because it was a Cold War rivalry that was going on. There was a political push for the United States to be the first country to get to the moon rather than the Soviet Union. It wasn't just for that reason. It certainly had that element, but it captured everyone's attention. People around the world watched Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. It is still probably the most watched event uh, per capita in human history because it was massive. And it made Neil Armstrong um, a household name around the world. And one of those names that if you were going to write a really, really short history book about the biggest events in human history, his name would be there. Not just because, not because he did it himself, but because he was at the very pinnacle point of a process where hundreds, if not thousands of people invested in their willingness to explore, in this case, external space, outer space, and made this possible. But for each one of them to do this, including the astronauts, but also those people working on the ground, I would hazard a guess that internal space exploration played a big part of this and certainly was affected deeply by that experience. So that's what we're going to talk about today, the relationship between this outer space exploration, maybe literally, but also figuratively, and inner space. And so we're going to jump into that when we come back from our first break on This Show is All About You. See you in a minute. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor This Show is All About You because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Don't ask me to talk. Don't ask me to talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacy Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder. Don't ask me to talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back to this show is all about you and this Thanksgiving week of 2022. And I left off before the break talking about the Artemis One launch, which I think is a really big deal uh, from a historical perspective and a now perspective. But it's kind of gotten lost in all of the, uh, the real negative news that is really dominating the world these days. And so on one hand, I want to highlight it because it really is a, a positive thing that I think a lot of people around the world, regardless of where they are or what they believe in, can get excited about. But it's also, I think, a really effective metaphor uh, for all of us to really examine and to uh, examine that, that feeling. Why do we get excited about those things? And, and what is it about this process that captures so much attention? And I think it's because, as I suggested before the break, it is an external manifestation of that desire, that wired-in desire of all of us to explore. Uh, and certainly, emotions can 
propel that sense of exploration forward. They can also prevent us from engaging in it, be, be, on, no matter what it might be about. And certainly, trying to put human beings back on the moon is a very difficult, labor-intensive process. And of course, they've been working on this for years and years and years to get to this point. And, but much like that, much like the sort of the outer space exploration, that inner space exploration can take years and years and years. In fact, I don't really think it ever ends. I think it's a process of growth. Exploration in a lot of ways is growth. You can put the names, the words side by side, and I think you might have, um, might have a lot of similarities. Now, certainly it's possible for someone to explore uh, inner, their inner space, uh, however they define that, and not grow, but I have a hard time seeing how that could possibly be, at least not in my experience. Uh, that said, people can also go explore and then decide it was the worst idea uh, in their life and uh, never want to do it again. I, I have a couple of friends I remember uh, when I was in college years ago. I won't tell you when. I don't want to date myself. But nevertheless, uh, they were so excited to travel overseas for the first time. And they did. They were gone for a couple of weeks. They came back and said, never again. That was miserable. They, they effectively got leveled by culture shock. They were not prepared for that. And they never quite got past it. And I've lost track with those friends. So I'm hoping they grew out of that. I'm hoping they, they found a new avenue or a, a new way to frame that. But nevertheless, they came back and were not interested in any more of that because of the discomfort uh, that came with it. And certainly that is the case. Uh, you know, the Artemis mission, the reason why they're doing this as an unmanned mission to start with at first is because of the multiple dangers involved, the multiple systems that need to be tested, uh, the, all the problems that they could foresee being addressed on the flight. More importantly, all the things they can't foresee, having those things happen and seeing how people respond to troubleshoot those things. They decided to do that this time. They did not really do that too much um, on the Apollo missions. The, the urgency politically of getting people to the moon uh, in the end uh, pushed that program forward faster. A lot of people have made a, a big issue about uh, President Kennedy saying uh, early on in his presidency, you know, the challenge for, uh, for the United States to land on the moon by the end of the decade as a big push. And I think that was significant. Uh, at the same time, there was that political, you know, we got to get there before the Soviets that was important. And also uh, that very human desire to really push and get there. If you have the possibility, if you see the possibility, can it garner its own momentum? You get excited by something, you want more of it, you want to really push that envelope. And that was part of it too. And they had teams and teams and teams of people in multiple sectors all working together to both harness that energy to make this happen as quickly as possible, and also to slow it down collectively when necessary to prevent it from being reckless. And as I've been sitting thinking about this week, which always feels different, even though the holiday is on Thursday, the week itself always feels different. Uh, you know, it's, it can be a little tougher to get really going with work. Some kids are off of school all week, and so it changes routines at home. People are starting to make travel plans or starting to enact their travel plans for the holidays. So they might be packing up stuff and making sure that the dog has got someone to feed him while they're gone. And how are we going to get to the airport? And is the airport going to be hell on wheels this year like it was last year? It's just a different week with different questions. And so sometimes we just want to push and get to where we want to go. Uh, 
And sometimes we just have to slow down and just let things go step by step by step. So that, of course, is all externals as well, right? The travel plan, all that. But what about the internals in all of this? Uh, you know, the exploration of internal space. And to me, there's a direct connection between these. And if you're wondering what I mean, go find a video of the Artemis rocket launching. Go find that if you haven't watched it. Um, there's a lot of videos out there you can find on YouTube and elsewhere. And the best ones are the ones that are about 15 minutes long. And you get a whole sense of it. And then watch, watch it go all the way through its process, from when it launches to when it exits the atmosphere. It's a very, very short period of time. Uh, that rocket is moving at unfathomable speeds in a very, very short amount of time. And then NASA has it set up that you can follow the trajectory of the Orion uh, capsule through its entire journey. Right? I've, I've been checking on it every day since Tuesday to see where it is. Watch that, sit with that for a minute, and then pay attention to the feelings that might connect in you. Wondering, wanting to know more. Maybe the, maybe the desire to learn more, to click on another video that has something to do with it, or, or to look up the background of the Artemis missions. When did it start? Um, you know, Andy Weir, the author of The Martian, just wrote his most recent book. is called Artemis. Maybe you want to read that. Whatever it is that spurs that feeling, that, wow, this is kind of a big deal and I want to know more, that's the inner space exploration connection to the outer. That's the thing that's fascinating to me. When I think back of explorers, you know, throughout human history, uh, certainly for some of them, uh, financial gain was a, was a motive. Uh, certainly there was that. It also had to be, on some level, more complicated than just that. Because certainly, people enjoy money. Uh, but to go to lengths to explore into the unknown, the heretofore unknown, with all of its potential dangers, seen and unseen, anticipated and unanticipated, takes, I think, more than that on some level. Maybe it's hubris. Maybe it's confidence. Maybe it's a, a genuineness, a desire to explore. Maybe it's a complicated mix of all those things. But that doesn't change the fact that, that that desire to explore and know more, to build upon, the inquiry, the curiosity, is there in some way, shape, or form. Or if it's not, can be fueled at any point along this process where something new, life-changing is discovered. It could be a new place. It could be a beautiful sight that you know when you see it, you will never forget. Those moments that move us, those, move, those moments that stop us in our tracks and we say, wow, I'm in this moment going to just take this moment in. All of those are moments of inner exploration. That can happen on a trip somewhere. It's one reason I love road trips. But it can also happen in the course of something as intimate as a conversation with someone we care about or something that we read or something that we witness out in public. You know, the, the smallest thing. I remember being at a coffee shop. Uh, this was probably within the last couple of years. And I walked in. I was standing in line. It was a very long line. And there was a mom with her kids there. And uh, the kids were having a rough time. And mom was having a rough time. And it was a little loud in there. And there was... One of the babies was uh, sitting in the stroller, moving around. And this other patron had a dog 
sweet old mutt that came up, little baby was crying, fussing, kind of angry, came walking up and just put, put its nose right over the top of the stroller. And this baby turned and did a 180 emotionally from, <laughs> from uh, crankiness to delight and very gently reached out almost as if it was wired into her and just pet that dog on its nose and the dog leaned in and she got her hands behind its ear and she rubbed it behind the ear. And then the, the adults didn't notice, right? Mom didn't notice. Dog's owner didn't notice. And they just interacted there for just a second, just enjoying each other really quickly. And then the dog stepped away and the kid was calm. And the mom looked back. I watched the whole thing. The mom looked down wondering what had happened and had no idea this is what had happened. But I had seen it and I had watched it. And the person next to me had seen it and watched it. And we both smiled big. And the person next to me, he said, I don't know about you, but that just made my week. Those are the moments. There's something in there that I think this week of all weeks um, in the holidays, with the holidays, is something that maybe we could reflect on and find a lot in as this different week goes about its different flow. That kind of moment brought up to me, okay, why did something like that affect me so deeply? And that used to be a question I would ask in my head all the time. And I would look for evidence of, okay, well, it's this, this, and this. And, And I certainly could give you a list of reasons for all that. First of all, it was adorable, right? Just adorable. It's a dog and a baby. I mean, that's what drives social media these days, isn't it? Baby videos and pet videos. But, but it wasn't just that. There was something about that connective moment between two, two living beings that couldn't be more different from one another that just enjoyed that moment. And I think, for me at least, when I reflect on it from an emotional space rather than overthinking it, it's because those are the moments that we love, whether it's with a dog, whether it's with a baby, whether it's it's a person that we love, a family member, a partner. Uh, we love those moments. I think we often live for those moments. Not just because they're beautiful and they feel powerful, but they give us a sense of perspective. They add something to our collective experience, which includes knowledge and intuition and spirit that we didn't have before. And we experience some innate sense of value in that moment. And it makes us want to have more of them, oftentimes. Makes us want to understand them better. And maybe we always we can't always from a mind space. But nevertheless, it's something that we appreciate. It's something that slows us down, that gets us out of the day in, day out worries, concerns, cycle of doom that we can sometimes put ourselves through to go, whoa, that itself is a beautiful moment worth holding on to. I don't know about you, but what can happen to me is, is when moments like that happen, whatever they look like, I can sometimes wonder how many of those moments have I missed out on because I was locked into that doom cycle or I was too busy looking at my phone or I was too busy making up stories in my head about something in my life that wasn't going right. That's not exploration. <laughs> That's really trying to uh, control something. And exploration is something certainly it's important to prepare for. But an important part of exploration is to simply respond to what happens. To have an idea of going somewhere or exploring something 
can't be really about control in the end if it's going to truly be exploring. So it seems to me that on the basis of that, the exploring itself is the point. To what degree, in an inner sense or in an outer sense, are we willing to take what we encounter on that exploration at its own value? Or do we have to have it be something specific that we feel we must find? The difficulty with that is, is oftentimes we can invent something or we can force a situation to fit the goal we want or the outcome we want or the visual we want or the experience we want rather than let those things come to us. The, great, the biggest moments, the most important moments in the history of exploration of any kind, particularly in the external kind, are when the unexpected unintended consequences happen. Whether it's Columbia sailing and, and thinking he found India and slowly realizing over time that he had not, and there were there was a whole lot of unintended uh, results that had to be considered, or we're talking about a number of the glitches and difficulties that the Apollo crews found on their missions to the moon. Most famously, of course, Apollo 13, which never made it to the moon. Uh, the Tom Hanks movie of the same name tells that story very well. But uh, talk about unexpected things that happened and a need to figure out inventive ways to get those astronauts home instead of them dying uh, out in the middle of, of space. All those things, well, I guess what I come back to on this, there was preparation, right? There was a trajectory. There was an idea of why they were doing what they were doing, where they were going, what they might be hoping to accomplish. But the most important moments that made or break that made or broke those explorations were the unexpected things. And perhaps that's what internally can sometimes prevent us from doing that inner exploration. And it can be on a lot of things. Maybe a sense that's grown over time, like it's experienced with me, that there's some some traumas early in my life that I haven't really dug into or come to terms with yet. That I need to go through the experience of revisiting emotionally. I, like many others, have done that and experienced that and have shied away from it at various points from really wanting to explore it. It could be something like that. It could be avoiding a difficult conversation <laughs> that has to happen at work or with a friend or with a partner or with a, with a child or a parent. Something that the concern is it's going to affect things negatively or I can't figure out what the, or control what the outcome of this is going to be. And what can happen with that is if we don't have those conversations, then the status quo that is already unsatisfactory, hence why we would need an uncomfortable conversation, just continues to go on and on and on. And much to our own detriment. So there's that side of it as well, that fear of doing so. And because when we explore we are simply part of a larger process where more things are going to happen around us and to us than they would if we weren't willing to explore at all. If astronauts never left the Earth's orbit, they wouldn't be astronauts. If they didn't go into space, they wouldn't experience all the unforeseen things that can happen in space. And so their willingness, an astronaut's willingness, to go into space and experience the heretofore unexperienced is the whole point. 
astronauts go up to the International Space Station and stay for longer and longer visits, in part to test how the human body responds to that. Because if we want to explore further and further into the solar system and beyond, it's going to require human beings staying in zero gravity for a longer period of time or finding a way to, to create artificial gravity so that people's bodies can continue to function the way they're supposed to. Right? You hear the stories all the time of, of astronauts coming back from the International Space Station having stayed up there for months or even into a year or longer, coming back and being, oh, an inch or, inch or two taller than they were when they left because their bodies, gravity's not crunching their bodies down as they walk. They stretch out, and it takes a little while for their muscles to remember how to walk effectively in gravity, how to bring a spoon to their mouth in gravity, how to comb their hair, <laughs> every basic thing. Those are things that are really important for us to study when astronauts go to space because if exploration is going to continue, those are things that we need to know more about so we can make those journeys safely. If indeed human beings are going to land on Mars, which we seem to be on course to uh, in most of our lifetimes, then those are really, really important questions because those astronauts who go will be gone a year or two, if not longer, and some of them may not ever be planning on coming back at all just because of the nature of that. It takes eight months minimum to get out there, if not longer, depending on when you launch. And so exploration has to fit that as well. Okay, when we come back, We'll cap this off a little bit, and I'll talk about a couple of things I'm thankful for this week here on this show is all about you. Stick around. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you talking about Oh, just a, a little bit of a different angle on on Thanksgiving week, talking about the similarities and the crossover between exploring outer space, the Artemis missions to the moon are back on, and that inner space. What does it mean? And the, and the connection in interest and wonder and uh, possibility that those bring up. And I really think that the external things that inspire us, the reason why they do that from an external is because they kick in that internal side of us that wants to explore that wants to know more, that wonders, you know. And, you know, when I think about it, the people who inspire me most in the world and in my immediate circles 
uh, tend to be the people who are willing to wonder and explore the most. I think because there's a sense of life and vibrance in those people that people who don't have it, um, I, I feel sad that they don't. Or maybe it's kind of buried under maybe some legitimately difficult things and it'd be really great to see them rediscover them. I don't know what it is, but I know for a fact that that willingness uh, to explore, to really pursue, and that maybe that's another word that goes with exploration, pursuit, they're willing to do that, are the ones that I think have the most to offer, at least in terms of the value that they bring me in my life because they kick off those same desires, those innate feelings, those innate connections in me, and also because I see what it does with other people. You know, when I, when I visit with the people at Airway Science for Kids, for example, and I see what they do and I see their own engagement and their own excitement connecting in with their own thrills and willing, willingness to explore and to teach, watching the kids they work with connect with that and get excited about not just what they're learning, but then slowly realize that they can do the same thing themselves. It kicks off their sense of wonder. And when that wonder gets kicked off, the willingness and the desire to explore can follow. And then the follow through can follow behind that. What do I need to do to do that? Airway Science provides that for these kids. And then suddenly they're going, okay, then I want to do this and this and this. And it starts building its own momentum. Like a rocket hurling through space, it leaves the atmosphere. It continues to build its momentum and keep its speed going towards its target at increasing speed until it gets there. It's a similar, it's, it's an effective metaphor. Maybe it's a big one, but I think it's effective. And those are the people that we tend to be drawn to, that we tend to be inspired by. We might laugh at the cynical comedian right, who talks about um, all the things that you know feel good to laugh at. But even that person has gone through a process of exploration and taking risks to get up on a stage, learn how to do this. You know, how many cities have they gone to where they bombed on the stage or they were, they were heckled or they were booed? And the pressure that goes with that. They themselves, I think, inspire not just because they're funny, but because they are putting themselves out there in their own way. So just about anything that we look at and that we draw energy from, that we draw excitement or inspiration from, I think is tapping into that inner exploration piece that we all seem to have and we all enjoy when it is ignited in us. And with this being Thanksgiving week, to kind of tie this off, <clears throat> I think about this a lot uh, during the holidays, mainly because uh, that sense of exploration, wonder, openness is really, I think, what we enjoy feeling and experiencing and giving out to people during the holidays. After all, when we give a toy to a kid at the holidays, what is it that we're really excited about? We're excited about seeing the joy the wonder on their face, and then watching them build worlds, <laughs> make-believe ones, playing with that toy. What's happening with them? We're building up that excitement, that willingness to step outside themselves, that awareness that things are much bigger out there than what they're experiencing as a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a 10-year-old. But doing it with a sense that feeds the positive elements of wonder and provides joy and excitement and belonging. And of course, there's the 
the feeling that hopefully they're getting that this is a person that cares about me that gave this to me. And so it provides that connection. And when we are connected and we, somebody gives us something, whether it's a gift at the holidays or whether it's a gift of time, even just a smile passing by when we're having a bad day, that connective piece is really what fuels us. Because in that moment, we can go, okay, there is something more possible than what I know right now. If, if you're the one who got that smile or the kind word on a day you needed it, it can give you that sense of in that moment of, yep, I do not have to stay in this. Things are not as bad as I thought. There's kindness in the world. And just that little thing can cascade out and change a person's attitude in a second. I know that because it's happened to me. I've been on the receiving end of those things when I've needed them. And then, of course, for a child getting a toy, oh, my gosh. Think of the worlds they can build. I think of any kid who loves to play with Legos. <laughs> I was one of them. My nephews definitely was one of them. Uh, what they can build with that. It's not just building the set, the airplane, or the spaceship, or whatever it is. But then taking those pieces, putting them together in a way that makes sense in that child's mind and in their experience, and they build something. Even if it's a house where none of the bricks match, you know, and the walls are in <laughs> weird positions, it's something that is built unique to them. And in that sense, I think there's a direct connection between our ability to explore that inner space with that and our willingness and our ability with that to connect with gratitude. Because what can we truly be grateful for but the things that we have discovered or the things that have been given to us or the realizations that we've made or that we've encountered when we've decided to explore something. And it's easy to focus on the things that change that are difficult, the difficult conversations, the, the transitions that come from things like the end of things, grieving something. It's easy to focus on that and use that as a reason not to go explore because those feelings are difficult and uncomfortable and painful. And yet, we can't experience all the really good things in exploration without being open to the fact that difficult things might happen in that exploration as well. For me, once upon a time, because I was so terrified of those difficult things, I just numbed out my ability to feel anything negative. And the difficult part of that was, the sad part, looking back on it, was in the process of numbing all that, I numbed all the good stuff too. We can't selectively say when we explore something, I'm going to numb myself out from the difficult feelings that come with the unexpected bad things and just focus on enjoying all the good things. To numb one means to numb the other. And so it requires us, I think, in our own personal inner space to learn how to hold those things at the same time to be able to experience the joy of things and all the things we're grateful for, and then also hold at the same time, maybe side by side, maybe not in, very, in equal portions all the time, those difficult things that come with that exploration, the hard lessons, the disappointments, the wish I would have done it differently. Those can exist side by side, and oftentimes, the ability to acknowledge the difficult ones helps us even more, I've experienced, 
appreciate those good things, the joyful things. For me, the ability to, to do that better than I used to has helped me in so many fundamental ways. Not only do I enjoy genuine moments and notice those genuine moments like that baby with that dog, but also I'll stop and wherever I am and watch the sunset. And people do that. Lately here, it's been up in the Northwest, believe it or not, it's been clear for days and days and days. And at night, the last few nights as I've been coming home, because it gets dark at like 4.30 up here now, of there's amazing stuff in the sky. The last few nights, Mars has been visible in the eastern sky. And when I just pivot about 90 degrees, I can see Jupiter. And according to this app that I point in the air, and it tells me what all the constellations and planets are, the planet Neptune, which is the furthest out the solar system is right behind Jupiter, barely visible to the naked eye. So literally from outside my garage, if I choose to, I can practically see to the edge of the solar system. Now, as I say that, I'm feeling my inner space getting all excited. That is just the coolest thing. And we all have that ability. And how many of us go through our days without taking a moment to look at that when we can, to think about it and what that means? For me, yes, I can feel small in those moments, but also I can feel enormously empowered in those moments because I've been given this gift, this small being in the midst of this massive universe, to be able to witness that in the night sky. And when I can appreciate that, there's a lot of other things that I can appreciate in my life that I get to have. The nature of my friendships, all my relationships, my ability increasingly to accept people for who they are, where they are, without having to compromise myself in the process. And I can show up authentically with them. And then I'm having real conversations having real moments that we'll both treasure and having the autonomy to step away and to refill that well, if you will, to rediscover or, or to explore more, find something new to do, somewhere new to go, either literally or intellectually, emotionally, to try something new. And I'm just thankful for that entire process and for those experiences. And I think when we can say all these things reinforce one another, the negative things can help us appreciate the positives. And the positives can help us not knuckle under to the negatives. Not only can we handle both of those things more effectively and still operate well in life, but everything that's in between that can take on more value rather than feeling like it's the humdrum of daily life. At least it's something that I think is possible. And if you're wondering about that for yourself, guess what? You're encountering that innate connective piece in you to want to explore. Yourself, your ideas, your experiences, maybe your past, maybe the world around you, maybe other people, maybe new activities. (laughs) 
maybe outer space. I know there's a lot of kids at Airway Science for Kids who want to go to outer space, you know. And as I talk about it, you know, here's what I find in myself. I'm smiling really big here in the studio. <laughs> and I'm enjoying this opportunity myself to reflect and to speak it out loud and to share it. And I'm feeling that gratitude for those of you who are listening and for those of you who write in and those of you who support me and those of you I've yet to reach that may not hear this for another year or two. I have a lot of gratitude for all of that. And it makes me grateful that I decided to do this kind of exploring in this avenue, in this venue, in this media. And so I hope this week you can sit with that yourself, whatever that feels like and looks like for you, whatever it's about, and experience the gratitude that comes with the awareness that this is how we are all designed, to explore inwardly and then be inspired by outwardly and explore outwardly. And that they go hand in hand. And that the best kind of lives can be the ones that embrace both with all their difficulties and all their ease, all their beauty, and everything in between. So that's my way of sending you into this Thanksgiving week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of This Show is All About You. Remember, you can find out more about me at wordsbyjdk.com. You can get this episode or all the other episodes wherever you find your podcasts. And, uh, I want to give out a lot of thank yous. Uh, there's always thank yous, but I'll keep the list sh as short as possible. This show is all about you. It's produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is my in-studio producer, editor, mix master. Thank you, Eric. The show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Check them out at airside.org. Thank you. Ask for your support. And the original theme music for this show is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Thanks, Dave. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week has to go to Julia Cannell. Tawny and Dave Santabria, Brandon Olson, Monica Chakova, Ashley Kniebel, Bruce Buller, Kelly Lynch, Susie and Dave Hardison, Gina Bianchi, Dave Eskenazi, Ryan Roland-Smith, Emily McFetridge, Bruce Palmer, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thanks to Bono for writing one of the most amazing and truly inspiring memoirs I've ever seen. And I don't say that, A, lightly, or B, because I've been a fan of the man almost as long as I've been alive. It's truly worth everyone reading. Thanks to all you listeners for your kind words following uh, the solo edition of my other podcast, Breaking Up With RBS, where you wrote in and sent condolences to my broadcast partner, Tawny Santabria, on her recent family loss. That was truly unexpected and very touching, and I've passed that on to her. And then more lightly, thanks to Gravy. I plan to toast you this week with a ladleful or three on Thursday. Thanksgiving would not be Thanksgiving without your culinary goodness. You are a sign not only of the existence of the divine, but of its inherent goodness and its desire for us to be happy. And to you, listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And finally, I'll send you off into Thanksgiving with this original haiku. To travel in space requires no other rocket than our built-in one. Chins up, everyone. Mm -hmm.